0: Advent a, bit, a week late from most other churches, but we're still getting it in there, and uh, now we get a few wonderful weeks to look ahead towards Christmas. And so as we begin this Advent series, I almost just wanted to start a, with a question, which is like, how you doing? It's been a year, hasn't it? Like it's been, like, what, what is it, online, like 2020, the longest decade that's ever existed in a year? Like, can you remember, like, if you think back... To how this year began. Like, if you were here with us as a church and maybe you were at a different place, can you remember how your outlook was? Man, I was excited. At this church, we just finished Revelation and we hadn't exploded, which to me was a miracle in itself. And um, we were looking ahead, and I had all these big ideas about building good organizational systems underneath us and, you know, getting ourselves ready to expand and move forward. And then the year just went crazy. Like, do you remember back in like January, the biggest thing, remember the the Australian bushfires? Remember when we thought that was gonna, remember the sky was red? It felt like the earth was ending? Remember that? Remember how we thought that was gonna be like one of the biggest things? Nope, wrong. We hardly remember that at all. Look, I mean, we made it through, again, just before corona, we also had like Kobe Bryant died. If you're a big basketball fan, that was, that was was rough, you know, for some of us. Equally, we also, like, there was a moment where we thought World War III was gonna happen. Remember Trump, Kim Jong-un, and Iran were having like this weird three-way and we thought everybody might die at some point? Yeah, that happened as well this year. That was all before March when everything shut down. And then we went through lockdowns. Have any of you gone back through your photos and looked at your lockdown photos? It's a weird, it's a, I did it the other week, it's a surreal feeling as you're like, oh, I just remember the routine, trying to do everything I could to keep three kids not from killing each other and not allowed to leave the house really at all and not let them watch TV for 12 hours a day lest our community judge us, right? No parent let their kid watch lots of TV during quarantine, right? You guys were all real good, one hour screen time max. Everyone else follow that rule? Yeah, totally. Chris, did you follow that rule? No. (laughs) Look, we had lockdowns kids were supposed to go to Easter camp. We had a fundraiser. That didn't happen. Remember that? That was gutting. We stayed in our houses. Then George Floyd was killed. Remember that? There were, there were riots. I mean, there was, there was a protest march in Auckland. Um, statues were going down all over the world. It was like every single month there was something huge. There was the giant explosion in Beirut. Remember that? And then on top of that, throughout this year, we also weathered Two elections, one here and one that's still kind of ongoing depending on which news articles you read in my home country. And that, I feel like somehow that one got as much press as our election, (laughs) right? And it's exhausting and we got factioned into camps of conservative and liberals and, oh, do you like Trump or do you hate Trump? Is he the antichrist or is he the prophet? I don't, (sighs) yeah, right? And then we had a second lockdown here at church, you know, we went back up to level two. We couldn't meet here for about six weeks. And so, coming to the end of this year, then, then we did an AGM where I asked you guys to work harder, volunteer more, and now we come into 2020. How you doing? I'm tired. How about you? Is anyone else tired? No, wow. Well, praise God, we have a few happy people and the rest of us are too tired to even say anything, right? Because <laughs> we're, And it's beyond just tired, it's like this emotional exhaustion. Like honestly, as a pastor, I don't know that I can grapple with one more giant societal issue that I need to wrap my head around and lead comfortably through. I'm out, I'm tapped out, I've done my best. You guys figure out the rest on your own. And we have that exhaustion that goes with us. And it's more than just we're tired for the day, but for so many of us, thought of jumping into a new activity, the thought of Christmas and all the gifts that you need to do and the family events that you need to coordinate. And if you don't, if you come from a complicated family, then you're looking at multiple different Christmas events that you're trying to manage. And for some of us, Christmas with our family is like the best thing. But then for some of us, Christmas with our family is like the most stressful thing, right? No, just me. Um, and we can feel just so tired and exhausted in the midst of that. And it can lead you to ask this question, which Christmas forced us to ask, but I think is particularly hard to answer this year. Because every Advent, we celebrate the story of God coming to join us, step into our world, where we have a tangible moment we can say, Look, there is God at work. And so every Advent series, every Christmas series, what its goal is to help us reset our eyes on where is God. But I think this year that can be pretty hard to find the answer to. Sometimes, totally, yeah, great. It's all lots of great things. But for some of us, amidst the pandemics, people who've lost friends and family, people who've lost jobs, the exhaustion of having to deal with everything to go and be like, where's God? You're like, oh, oh, and then you come into church and you listen to some pastor like me tell you about another good thing you're meant to be doing this week. Right? And it can be hard to know where God is and to know what He's doing. And it's in this difficulty that Advent begins to speak to each and every one of us. Because it was into a situation not too dissimilar from ours that God first broke in. I mean, we know the Christmas story well, don't we? We've read it lots of times, we hear it every year. But you can easily forget the context to which it was born in. I mean, this is. We're looking at Israel. This is a people who maybe about 100 years ago, 150 years ago, they had won their freedom from the Greeks after being oppressed by the Babylonians and the Persians and then Alexander the Great. And then they had this one Greek general called Antiochus Epiphanes who was horrible to them. To try and kill Jewish rebellion, he brought pigs into the temple and he slaughtered them on the altar just to try and break their spirit. And so Israel had had this great moment, and if you have a Catholic Bible, yeah, in the Catholic Bible, there's a book called the Maccabees, where you hear about this revolt, where the Israeli people throw off Greek rule, and they managed to set up their own kingdom, and it felt like, yes, this is the moment. And then it was like 2020 happened for them, because the Romans showed up. And just decimated them. And going from maybe being their own state, maybe building their own kingdom again, they now become another state of Rome. And where we find ourselves at the beginning in the Christmas story, is it tells about how uh, Caesar Augustus calls out for a census to be done worldwide. Now again, census is the main reason that Augustus did that is he wants more money. Because it's like the CV rate where the council gets to figure out how much to tax your house. It was like that, but with the entire Roman world. And so he forces everyone to go back to their homes and their places so that they can count them and figure out what they own, how much land they have, so that he can rake as much tax out of them as possible. And so for a small, broken, oppressed Jewish state, they are about to get raked out from what little they have left. And you can hear the prophets, you can hear the Sadducees, the leaders of the state, you can hear the Pharisees, the religious leaders, all of them calling for God to work and move but finding it very difficult to see him in their present-day circumstances. And so it's in the midst of that context that we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to look along with us. Um, We're going to start in verse um, 28. So this is Luke chapter 1, and this is where the angel Gabriel comes and meets with a young teenage girl named Mary. So it says this, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, this is one of the most relatable moments in like all of scripture. Because how many times, the way I think about it, it's like when I'm talking to my kids and if I use their middle names accidentally, oh, the fear of God's in them. You know, like if I'm like, uh, Leo, Simeon, what are you doing? And he's like, shh. You ever had that? You know when your parents use your middle name? You know? And that, that's what happened for Mary. It was like this huge presence, this huge beam of light focuses right in on her. And she's like, it's like God called out on her middle name. And she's like, this is not going to end well for me. This is, this is not going to be good news of great joy for me. So she's greatly disturbed at what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. And now for for anyone who's reading the scriptures and for Mary, all those titles, it's like these huge glaring light bulbs going off in their head because they've been longing for something to free them. They've been longing for God to move, but it felt like for ages, nothing was happening. It was just oppressor after oppressor. And then you hear these words, um, you'll give birth to a son and name him Jesus, which is like Yeshua, which means God saves. He will be great and he'll be called son of the most high. This is the language that the Psalms and the prophets began to use for this Messiah-like figure. For this moment that a new king that will finally rule in the way that Israel needed their whole lives is finally beginning to emerge. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. She's talking like the angels, she's hearing the angel talk about the restoring of their line. They've not had a king for like 400 years, nothing. That line was almost thought to be disappeared, but God's bringing it back. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end and the light bulbs are going off, and she's recognizing this is something huge. This is the moment we've been waiting for, for God to act. So she says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, uh, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. You're a young teenage girl, what do you, how do you respond? What do you say to that? It's been like the 2020 of years for them as well, and God said, all right, cool, I'm going to work in you, let's do it. How do you How do you respond? When I was thinking about this and I was thinking about our our normal context and all of us who are good Christians, right? Those of us who are good Christians and those of us who are more real. Often when you get a message like this, if God says, hey, I'm going to do something big through you there's often a way I respond I don't know if you feel that way but like when I was 17 18 I was involved with Youth with a Mission which was like this really cool missions organization one of the cool things that why I'm really love to do is they love to pray for people and if they felt like God might be saying something they would often say that to them like hey God is saying that he really loves you or God is saying that he's really close to you and around you and I remember when I was 16 17 um, someone prayed over me and they're like I just feel like God has a call on your life and he's going to He's going to work in you and he's going to, you know, do lots of big ministry things through you. And I was like, (laughs) cool, felt pretty good about myself that day. But the thing that I I mainly took away is it was kind of like, all right, cool. God wants me to do things. Cool. What are are the things I'm going to do? So I began to think, how do I start arranging my future? How do I go to this? Should I go to that person for mentoring? Should I go and train there? And I ended up going into why I'm going to, what do I also need to do? I need to study and I need to read my Bible better. All right, cool. Let me read my Bible. And I need to pray more because it was a very spiritual place where I am. Very spiritual place. So I prayed, there was a season I got up at 5 a.m. to pray every day for two months and that was all I could handle. Um, But I felt compelled to do all these things. And often when it comes to Christian context, when we talk about the gospel, when we say, hey, God is at work in the world, he's gonna do big things, God has a big plan, often the way that we interpret that is, oh, we need to do things. Often it's, what do I need to do? I need to do better. Oh, God wants to do something. Cool. I need to start, I need to start praying more. That's really important. I need, to, I need to start doing that so that God can do these things. And, and I need to get my life together because I'm, I'm a bit of a jerk to my kids. So I'm going to do better on that. I'm going to stop being a jerk to my kids. And I'm distracted all the time. So I'm going to do better. I'm going to put my phone in a lockbox every night and I won't look at it. And I'm going to do better. And what else? Like anyone else go through that thing? Anyone else been? If you've been in a Christian space for a while, it, anyone go around that circle a few times? Yeah. It was like, for me, the classic thing as a kid was, I had a good Pentecostal upbringing, so altar calls every week. And um, for me, that was, the altar call every week was a very regular occurrence. Cause it was like, God's gonna ask me to do big things. God, I give my life to you. Stink this week, I messed up. I'm going back to the altar and I'm gonna try again better next time. And I go back to the altar and God, give me a fresh start. I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm gonna do better for you. Let me try again. Okay, great, 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 great. And often that's how the way that we respond is we have to do better. We think God needs us to do better. As if God's goal is to come and save us, and the way that he's going to save us is he wants you to do better. It's a nice feeling, isn't it? Because it gives us a sense of control. Like we've earned it a little bit. Like there's the hard work and grit we need to put into the gospel for us to receive God's love. Then we can pray and come to the front because we've done our hard work. But is that the way that Mary responds to this? Is that the way that God begins to work through her? We see a very, very different response. See, rather than Mary saying, okay, God, that sounds great. I'm gonna have a kid. I'm gonna go out and buy all the cots that I need to. I'm gonna get the baby breath monitor so that that is ready. I'm gonna set apart the baby's room and get all those spaces ready. And then I'm gonna go and I'm only gonna eat these 12 foods because these are the only 12 foods a pregnant woman's allowed to eat, right? Yep, yep, I'm gonna do all these things. I'm gonna get my important, important uh, meetings with my midwife and my doula and my doctor, and I'm gonna have my birth plan ready from day one. That's often the way we wanna to respond to these things. But what does Mary say when God says, I'm working? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. There's no big action here, is there? There's no striving here, is there? There's no working to justify her place. Like, okay, God, I promise I'll do really good for you. Because Mary understood something about the gospel and about Christmas and about God's work that we so easily forget. The story of God is about his work, not ours. The gospel and God's work in Mary was about what he was doing in her, not what she was doing for him. Because I mean, what what was the thing that she had to do? She had to be pregnant. Now, my wife has had three kids, and they're all lovely. And there's this funny thing about pregnancy where it's hard work, and you're tired, and you're exhausted, but also you're not doing anything. Like I remember Haley really felt in her first pregnancy, she often felt like she had to keep doing more things, like she had to work harder, but she kept getting tired and she get, kept getting exhausted in these spaces. And I kept being like, Haley, just stop. You're doing enough. You don't have to do extra things in order to make this thing well. just stop. And what happening you is happening. And often this is the way the gospel works within us. So often we think we come to God And we feel like when we come to these church places and a preacher like me says, hey, God has a call on your life, and God wants to love you, and God wants to care for you, and God wants to work through this church to do great mission, we often feel like it's now our responsibility to do all those things. And at the end of 2020, that can feel particularly exhausting. That can feel particularly hard. I mean... This week, I was just saying to someone else this week, I mean, we had this big AGM on Sunday and we had all these decisions about where we're going and what we're going to do and how God's going to work through us. And now I've got a list of things that I need to work on and action and volunteers I need to get in. And honestly, there was a day on, on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday where I just sat looking at this list and I was like, I'm exhausted at the thought of that. Because even me as a pastor in those spaces still felt like it was my responsibility to do it all. Yeah, the church is going to do it. And yeah, God's going to care for us. But man, I need to find volunteers for this youth ministry. I got to start thinking through that. And I got to take care of our kids' volunteers. I need to set up a meeting with them. Oh, and then we've got the Connect Group dinner. Have we done that? Have I communicated well enough with them? Okay, we got church coming up this Sunday. What am I going to preach on? Oh, let me talk with Brooke to make sure we got the plans ready for that. Um, All right, cool. Then Christmas, do I need to buy birthday gifts? Who do I need to buy these birthday gifts for? And is that... Is that anyone else's mental space? And I got paralyzed, and I noticed even this week, I began to feel exhausted because I felt like what God was doing was down to my ability to achieve it. As if God's love and grace was down to your ability to make it happen. Andrew Purves, a great author, in a book, The Crucifixion of Ministry, he says, if being a Christian means that faithfulness is up to me to press on, run the race, and strain forward to bring in the kingdom of God. And if all the focus is on my response and my obedience, then I am doomed. Why? Because much of the time my response is too woebegone, too feeble, too uncertain, even too unfaithful to be adequate or worthy of what God is calling me to. So what is the gospel for lower energy Christians? What is the gospel for low-energy people? What is the gospel for us at the end of 2020 where we are exhausted mentally and physically and we're staring down another year? What am I supposed to feel or do when I discover that I can't raise the dead, heal the sick, mend the marriage, or undiagnose the cancer? Christian faithfulness is possible only because Jesus Christ has grasped us firmly by the scruff of our spiritual necks and will not lose hold. And this is what Mary recognized in that moment, where I would have been tempted to work in busyness and work to try and achieve and do the things that God has called me to. Mary understood, God, what you're doing, you're doing. Let it be done to me, as you've said. Which is another way of accepting the gospel. Really, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, when we say, when we give our lives to God, it's not promising to do better for God because we can't promise to do better for God. It's not being the perfect person because you're not going to be the perfect person. What the gospel is, is Jesus comes and meets each and every one of us in our brokenness, in our tiredness, in our anxieties, in our fears. And he says to you, like he said to Mary, I will come upon you and overshadow you. Interestingly enough, you know that overshadow word in Luke? God will come and overshadow you, that word is like the same word for the Shekinah glory, this indwelling presence of God. It's the the glory that came on Sinai during the Ten Commandments when they were given to Moses. It was the glory cloud that followed Israel through the desert. It was the same cloud that came upon the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transformed. And it's the same word for the Holy Spirit when he comes and descends upon the church in Acts. This same movement of God Where his presence and his grace and his love comes though we are not worthy and though we achieved nothing for it he comes and says i am going to save you because i love you because you are worth it and so what does the gospel say to us at the end of 2020 when we're exhausted and there's everything left and we're looking ahead towards christmas and we're tired and we're anxious and we don't have anything believe god would say the same thing to us that he would say to mary behold You are highly favored because I see you. I am coming and I will come upon you and your salvation will come through me. And this is not something you have to strive for or work for. This is something God is doing in you. And so as a response, our chance is not to say, yes, I'll be worthy of it. Yep, I'll do these 12 things next week. It's simply to say, Lord, let your word be done to me as you've spoken. So we're gonna finish today with one of those acts of remembrance and a chance for God's spirit to come and meet with us. And if I can invite the hosts, uh, we're gonna finish with the time of communion. And I'm really excited that we get to do this in this way because communion is the most tangible place where we remember God's unwarranted love and favor for us. And Kim, do you wanna come up and just put some music on and we'll go into a song after this. It's this moment where Jesus looks to his disciples on the last night of their time together, and they thought they had it all together. They thought they knew what Jesus was all about. But Jesus looks on them in their frailty, in their lack of understanding, and he opens up a simple meal for them, for them to know that it is God's work in them that is transforming them. And so today, we're gonna celebrate the same thing. So hosts, go ahead and feel free to pass those around together. And can I encourage you, look, feel free to take these. If you're not comfortable with that, if you're not a Christian here and you're like, I don't understand what this is all about, I'm not about that, feel free to let it pass. But also, I'd encourage you to take the elements with you. Because I think God wants to meet us today in the same way that he met Mary 2,000 years ago. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he got together one evening for a Passover with his disciples. And the, the world was tense. There was political unrest. They were nervous. They were scared. And they knew that the Jewish leaders were after them. And there was even one among them, Judas, who would already decided to hand Jesus over to be killed. And on that night, they shared a meal of deliverance, a Passover meal where Israel celebrated about how God looked in on this slave people in Egypt and said, I will come and rescue you. And God draws his people out of Egypt and restores them to a new world. And so Jesus, looking at his 12 disciples, reenacts the same thing again thousands of years later. And in that dinner, he took the cup, And he poured it. He said, this is my blood going to be shed for you. Opening up a new covenant, a new relationship between you and God. In the same way at that dinner, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And in it, we find healing and hope. As those are going around, just hold on to them and we'll take them together in a second. But I just had this sense as we're coming to the end of this crazy year and we're moving into the Christmas season, which historically is one of the busiest seasons of New Zealand, and I know there's a church we're not trying to use that word, but it is. And I know that we can feel exhausted and like God is another thing that we're meant to appease or please, that we're meant to do more things for him. And as we look at the world, it's hard to find God's action and God's movement. I had a sense that today, God wanted to gather us together again. And he wanted to remind you of this, that your worth, your value, his love for you and your standing in this world is not based on your response to him. It's not based on how well you do things for him. You can't perform any more for him. You can't make him love you any more than he already does. You are holy and completely accepted because of Jesus. And I feel like God wanted to say to you, in the burdens that you carry, in the longings of your heart that you're looking forward to, in the anxieties and the pains that you're walking with, that you're trying so hard to shoulder and to work through, I feel like God wanted to say today, you are not alone. You're not alone in this. Though the world may not look like it, and though your circumstances may not feel like it, God says to you today, I am with you. And you can know that I am with you by these things you hold in your hands. This cup and this bread, simple, simple things tangible enough to remind you that God is with you. Jesus came, lived and died and rose again, that you might experience freedom. And that work of God is not based on your effort. No matter how much you try, this is something God is doing in you. And so today, as we take these elements together, you don't need to make any promises to God. Don't promise you're going to do better next week. Don't fill your head with grand ideas of all the things you're going to achieve for him. As you take these elements, may you just echo the words of Mary, saying, God, let it be done to me as you've spoken. Let me pray, and let's take them together. Jesus, I pray for our community and our family. Everybody here, whether they've been with us for the whole time or whether this is their first Sunday whether they've been Christians their whole lives or whether they're still on the fence with you and they are not sure. Jesus, right now, I pray that your love will pour out over this place. When you met with Mary, you met with a young teenage girl who had no idea what was gonna go ahead of her. But you said, I will work through you. And through her and her son, you brought freedom for the whole world. Lord, you look to each and every one of us now. And I pray that each and every one of us here will feel your love and your care wrapping around us. I pray that you would lift guilt right now in Jesus' name. Take away shame in Jesus' name. Take away fear and pressure in Jesus' name. And remind us that all we need is you and that the saving work that you are doing It's your work, not ours. So come, Holy Spirit, and work in us.